scripture today comes from the book of Exodus. The first it comes from Exodus 24, verses 15, through Exodus 25, verse 9. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. When Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering, and you are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose hearts prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skin, dyed red, and other types of durable leather, askin wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense and the oxen stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate piece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Then from Exodus 29, verses 44 to 46. So I will consecrate the tent of the meeting and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So, what has brought you here this morning? Why are we gathered here? Particularly... As a, as a community, as a corporate body, is it to meet our social needs, right? We get to see our friends, we get to chat. Uh, is it to learn a little bit about the Bible, get to hear a sermon? Is it because we just don't, we don't know what we would do if we didn't come to church on Sunday morning? Or is there something more profound that's happening right now that maybe we don't even realize? Is it that God is actually dwelling among us? Is this little sanctuary in Northeast Ohio, actually right now a place where heaven and earth are coming together. Last week we left off in Exodus. We were halfway up the mountain. Moses was with Aaron and about 70 other folks. And they're in this space, I said, it was kind of halfway between heaven and earth. And as we're in this space, the lid of heaven kind of opens up for just a minute. I said they caught this glimpse of God. It was a glimpse of God, probably God's feet on this pavement. It was just a glimpse, but they struggled to describe what they had seen. Okay, now today Moses continues his trek up the mountain, and, and he waits for six days before he enters into the cloud. He enters through what, what, what's a wall of fire into the presence of God. Just think about that for a second. Let that just kind of settle in. Okay, imagine entering through fire, and all of a sudden you are in the presence of God. God says to a moment, God says to Moses, I want you to make me a tent. I want to come be with you. I want to come dwell with you. I want to come camp out with you. I have this distinct memory last summer of being in Uray, Colorado. Uray, Colorado is this stunning place. It's surrounded on almost all sides by canyon, by rugged mountains that go 12 to 13,000 feet in the air. There's hiking, there's mountaineering, there's waterfalls all around you. 
There's the best municipal pool I've ever seen. It's a municipal pool that is filled with hot water springs. It's like paradise. Except for the campground that we stayed at in the middle of your raid. Because this campground, unlike other ones, was really more designed for RVs, not tents. And so we had to pitch our tent on this very small little pad that was small and crowded, and it was on a gravel. Right across from us, though, was perhaps the fanciest RV I had seen uh, the entire summer, and I saw a lot of them. It had such a large flat-screen TV in it that my kids from our side could actually watch TV through their RV on their TV longingly. At no point during our stay in Uray did I ever sense them look over at us and think, you know, I'd like to join them. I'd like to join them sleeping on the gravel, cooking for four kids on a two-burner stove, washing dishes in a tub, and eating out of a cooler. I wonder when Moses steps through the fire and he talks to God, and he learns that God wants to camp out with the people down at this KOA, down at the bottom of the mountain, if he thinks, are you sure about that? God, you know what's down there, right? You know this is not the most comfortable setup. It's a bit rocky. It's a bit gravelly. The people, let me just tell you, the people are challenging, to say the least. It's kind of a mess down there. But that's what we read. God says, I want, I want to dwell. I want to, I want to pitch my tent with you all. In verses 8 and 9, we read this. Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So sanctuary means holy place. Tabernacle literally means dwelling place. So, so some for, for, for a while, uh, in this case a tent, God is going to make God's dwelling place uh, this holy space in this tent. Right Now think about this. The holiness that shook Mount Sinai is going to somehow come down the mountain and localize in this tent. It's a, granted, it's an ornate tent, but it's a tent, right? It's a tent among tents. And the way this is going to work is that Mo, God is going to show Moses this pattern, and then Moses is going to go back, give the instructions, and they're going to build it. And it, from the text, it seems like Moses both gets a visual and he gets instructions. And one of the really, really nice things uh, today, the benefits of the Internet, is if you want to, whatever you want to construct, okay, if you want to construct something, if you want to paint something, if you want to craft something, without fail, you can find someone on YouTube who has done that, right? Anybody ever done that besides me? You find somebody who's done that, and what's really helpful is you have a visual for it, okay? Um, especially for those of us who are not naturally a craftsman or craftswomen. I just did this recently. I built a desk for Krishana, and I found uh, someone on YouTube who had built a desk that looked like it was within my range of skills, which is not super high, but I could watch this, this woman build this desk, I could watch the pattern, I could watch what the finished product looked like, and then I was able to go to her website and I was able to actually download the blueprints for it, and I was able to work off this, the visual and the instructions. This is essentially what Moses gets up here. He gets some kind of visual of this tabernacle, but he also gets these very somewhat specific instructions, they're a little vague at times, but he gets both these things. And if you notice, Man, these instructions go on for a long time. Like, if you read through Exodus on this, as, as we're reading through the Bible, I mean, you probably found yourself a little bored because they go on and on six chapters, okay? We get six chapters of instructions. Then we get this break, uh, but it's for the golden calf debacle, okay? And then we're right back in the tabernacle for five more chapters. 
A third of the whole book of Exodus is just about the tabernacle, which all right, it should indicate to us we might be slightly bored. I admit it can be slightly boring. But the biblical author is trying to tell us something really, really, really important is happening here. Like if I'm going to take a third of this whole book and I'm going to tell you about this tabernacle, pay attention. Okay, so what is this tabernacle? It's a mobile tent where, as I said, God is going to be able to dwell with God's people, the Israelites. Uh, this is really, this marks this, the third shift in our book. We've, we've had these, if you think about Exodus, it really has three movements. There's the freedom from slavery in Egypt. There's being brought to Sinai and given the law, ratify the covenant. And now the rest of the book is, being about, is going to be about God's presence among the Israelites. Okay, this tent is it's going to be made out of precious metals, gold, silver, bronze. We got textiles, we got expensive yarns and linens, we got leather skins, we got wood, oil, precious gems, stones. Which kind of begs the question, like, where do the Israelites get all this? <laughs> you know, in the wilderness. You know, maybe they plundered it from Egypt, maybe some traders came by. I'm I don't, I don't we don't know. But here's what I want you to notice about all those materials. This is a very physical place. Okay, this is a very tactile place. And God is very specific about how God wants this built. I hope um, for our, our artists out there, this should be this really affirming text for you. Okay, we've got um, very skilled workers working with these materials. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know what you work with. Some of you work with wood. Some of you work with textiles. Some of you are painters. But what you're doing is you're creating beauty with material objects. Like, whether it's sewing in the basement or carving wood ducks or Whatever you're doing, you're crafting something. And when God gets done giving these instructions to Moses, he, he, he identifies these two guys. He said, I filled these guys with all kinds of skill and knowledge. They're going to engage in their artistic craft as you build this mobile tent. In other words, like this mobile tent is not coming from Ikea. Okay? This is a craftsman tent. There is a huge amount of thought and craft and beauty that has gone into that. I think maybe sometimes... Maybe, maybe in our stream of faith, we haven't always probably appreciated the role of the craftsman. Maybe the craftsman is someone who does work that's good outside of worship. But, but have we thought about that the artist and the craftsman has a role within the worshiping community to create things that are beautiful with their hands? That somehow that connects us with God. I want this to be an affirming text for any of you, any of you who make things that are beautiful in craftsmanship. So let's put up the first slide so we can get at least an image of, of what this tent, this is, uh, I think, a replica somewhere. Those of you, I know, were at Behalt yesterday. If you go to the Midnight Center in Lancaster, you can actually see a full-size replica of the tabernacle. It's pretty cool. But um, here we got a, um, somebody's recreation of that. Let's go on to the next one so we can get a little bit more. Okay, great. Thanks. You can just leave that up for a little bit, Ron. Um, this mobile tent would have had three sections. Okay, the first, there's this outer section that it creates a courtyard. It's about 75 feet wide and 150 feet long. Uh, it's got this fence around it that you can see in that image. Uh, and, then, and then you've got, within that courtyard, you've got a tent. This tent is probably about 15 feet wide and 44 feet long. It's got a height of about 15 feet, okay? And then on that tent, there would have been these coverings that would have been stretched over it that would have made this flat-topped uh, tent, okay? Inside that tent, there would have been curtains. One would have been at the entrance. One would have then divided two spaces, uh, a separate room called the Holy of Holies. You can uh, see that. You can go on to the next slide, and we'll get a little 
We'll zoom in on it. So, right, you've got this tent, and then you've got these two spaces. The one on the left would be the Holy of Holies. This room would have been a perfect cube, 15 by 15 by 15, and it would have represented God's throne room. Okay, this is where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be. This is going to be the hot spot. This is going to be the, the focal point of God's presence among the Israelites. This is where he's going to meet them uh, on earth. And so, and so I want you to see there's these three tiers. You can take that off. Thanks, Ron. There's an outer court. There's the tent. And then there's this inner room. Okay? And, and as you move closer, you're getting to these increasing levels of holiness. One, one analogy I, heard, I read somebody describe was, think about a nuclear reactor. As you move closer to a nuclear reactor, as you get closer to that core, you're going to be bombarded with increasing levels of radiation. Something similar happens here. As you move closer to this hot spot, this, this, this part, this holy of holies, you're going to encounter increasing levels of holiness. And this is actually similar to what we saw on Mount Sinai. This is interesting. Mount Sinai actually provides the model for the tabernacle because remember on Mount Sinai, we got, we got all the Israelites at the base. They're farther away, but they can still experience some of the presence of God. They can see the fire on the mountain. They can hear it. And then halfway up the mountain, we've got those 74 people. They're even experiencing more. They can actually see God into heaven. They can, the lid has been opened up. They can see into heaven. And then you've got Moses who actually enters into the presence of God. Okay, so as you go up that mountain, you're getting into increasing levels of holiness. Okay, the, the tabernacle is the same way, except rather than being vertically, it's horizontal. As you move to the center, increasing levels of holiness. As you get into that center, then you've got uh, these beautiful purple and scarlet curtains with cherubim that are, that are embroidered on them. These winged creatures that, in the Bible, uh, attend to God and, and protect access to God. And then you've got a fur one of the furnishings, the many furnishings in the tent is this uh, lampstand that looks a lot like a tree. Okay? And that lamp would light up the inside of the tent. So say you're a person inside, you get into that tent that's lit up with light from this tree. It's, you see, you're going to look up and you're going to see a blue. Okay? It's going to look like the sky. And for just a little bit, you're going to get a sense, I'm in heaven. Okay? That, that somehow heaven has come down to earth. That there's this kind of portal that's been created between heaven and earth. So, so what Moses experienced on the mountain when he walked through that fire and he moved in the presence of God, that's going to be moved down the mountain into the wilderness where that's going to now be able to be accessed there. That someone can step into a holy place. That there's this little piece of heaven that's going to come down to earth. And this is hard. This is hard to get our minds around. Let me, let me give you a couple metaphors that I, I heard that might help us get our minds around this. Think about if you've ever been overseas, there's American embassies in other countries. Uh, especially if you're maybe in a, a, a country that's very different from us, a non-Western country, as you go into that embassy, it can feel like you've actually stepped into a little island of America in a foreign country. Okay, you're going to see probably Americans there. You're going to hear English spoken. Uh, maybe the art and the decor, even the structure of the building might remind you of buildings in America. Like there's probably things that have been shipped over into this, uh, for this embassy from America. And so it can feel like you're, you're overseas, you're far away from America, but you've actually stepped into the United States. But not only is the tabernacle supposed to give you the feeling that you've stepped into heaven, you're actually supposed to sense the power of God. This might even be a little bit harder to get our minds around. How does that work? Because God's power is now localized in this tabernacle. I, I was, one time I was meeting with the in a group of ministers with the city manager of Columbiana. And he, he said that Columbiana gets a percentage of its power from a hydroelectric plant somewhere up, I think, near Lake Erie. 
Okay? So the source of electricity is not here. It's actually up somewhere near Lake Erie. But if I go to a power station in Columbiana around here, I can come into the presence of that power. Right? That power is not produced at that substation. It comes from that hydroelectric plant up by Lake Erie. But it's the same potency, right? In fact, if I get too close to that power station, it could be very dangerous for me. It could actually destroy me. So it's not that God, it's not that God like moves from heaven into earth like a genie moves into a bottle, but in this case, into a wooden box. Okay, God is still in heaven, but somehow this real power, this real presence of God has now descended and it's flowing into this tent, this place on earth. And when a person steps into the tent, it's like they step into this little plot of heaven on earth where the power and presence of God has been localized. Now God is dwelling among God's people. There's a lot more we could say about the tabernacle and furnishings, but I want to just stop there because we've come across something that's really, really important for the Bible. Because the Bible is very interested in the question of how, is, how does God dwell with God's people? How does God reside among God's creation? And to answer that question, we really have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, back to a place called Eden. Because that's what the biblical author is trying to do. As the biblical author in these chapters is giving you a tour of the tabernacle, the, the biblical author is trying to transport you back to Eden. Now, we don't really see that because our minds aren't saturated with creation story and with Eden and the Old Testament like the original audience. But the signs of Eden are everywhere. Okay, Remember, Moses goes up. He waits for how many days before he enters into the fire? Six days and on the seventh day. I don't think that was coincidental. Do you? Right, what does seven remind us of? Creation. Okay? There's, nothing, there's nothing coincidental about the number seven when you see it. Guess what? This is, this is where you need the biblical scholars to help you out. But guess how many times, in this text, this long stretch, we, we hear these words, uh, the Lord said to Moses seven times. Right? That's not coincidental. Very, very intentionally, we're going to hear these words. Guess what the last time, the last time we hear the Lord said to Moses, guess what that introduces? Sabbath. Okay? We're, we're, we're moving back to the creation account. At the center of this tabernacle is a tree. What was at the center of the Garden in Eden? It was a tree. Cherubim stand guard of this, through these woven into these beautiful curtains. We remember when Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden, remember who guards the garden? Why they can't get back in? Because cherubim are there. Like even the three-tiered structure of uh, the tabernacle is like Eden. And so without explicitly saying it, the biblical author is trying to say, Eden, Eden, Eden. When you step into this place, it's like you step back into Eden. It'd be like, say we took a room in our basement, and we took part of it, and we filled it with sand, made a little beach down in that room. And we really, in that room, we cranked up the heat. It was like 100 degrees. And then we drew an ocean on one wall. And on the other wall, we drew a bunch of Amish on bikes. Everything about that would scream, Sarasota, Sarasota, Sarasota. You are in Sarasota, Florida. Which I think some people think is Eden. Not, not me, personally. No offense. Like I don't, I, Uray is much closer to Eden without the RVs. Uh, to me, but, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, what's so great about Eden? Why is Eden so much better than Sarasota or Uray? Is it because there's better food? Is it because there's better scenery? I'm sure both those things are true. What's so great about Eden? The presence of God. 
That's what's so great about it. The presence of God is everywhere in Eden. And the presence of God is not just in this little tent where just a few people or even one person once a year can actually go into the hot spot. No, in the, in the Garden of Eden, we see humans with God walking and talking. They're in total and harmonious relationship with each other. But of course, the tragedy of Eden is that this fellowship is broken. When humans decide to strike out on their own, when they do that, humans are severed from Eden, severed from the tree of life, and they're severed from that intimacy they had with God. And this is the tragedy. This is the fall. And really, if you want to sum up the whole Bible in just one sentence, one way to maybe do this, how do we get back to Eden? How do we get back to Eden? You know, often, oftentimes we think about the story of the Bible is how do we get to heaven, but the story of the Bible is not really about that. The story is about how does heaven get to earth? How, how does that happen again where, where the space of humans and gods is all of a sudden like this, like it was in Eden? How does this rupture between heaven and earth, between God and humans, repaired so that God can again dwell with God's people in perfect harmony like they did in the garden? How do we get back to Eden? And what we see here at Mount Sinai and the construction of the tabernacle is God's starting to start moving the needle in that direction. God's starting to make a way back to Eden, how to get back with his creation. And we've already seen now, again, we've already seen one person, amazing, we haven't seen this since Eden, one person has stepped into the presence of God. Stunning, really. Just absolutely stunning. We have not seen this kind of access to God since Eden. And there it is, Moses on the mountain. But it's not just there. God's going to move that presence down the mountain into the wilderness. And so at least the people can have a taste of the presence. They're going to feel, as they're in there worshiping and offering sacrifices, the presence of God is going to be palpable. They're going to feel it. They're going to sense it. It's not Eden, but it's moving closer. This trend is going to continue, right? We're going to go from the, ta- how does God dwell? We've got Eden. we got the tabernacle. we got the temple. Okay, God is going to move into a different dwelling. And then, of course, in the Gospel of John, we, we've got Jesus. We, have, we read this in the Gospel of John. The Word, so we're talking about John's talking about Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. That sounds a lot like the tabernacle, right? Glory. And in fact, in Greek here, this uh, to dwell is more literally to pitch a tent. So it's like, just like God pitched a tent in the wilderness encamped with the Israelites. Again, in the New Testament, we see this great descent of God through the person of Jesus as God again pitches a tent among the people, encamps among the people. And now, now we got this hot spot of God's presence. It's not in a building. It's not in a tent. It's actually in the person of Jesus, which we could spend the rest of this time just thinking about and meditating and not even get close to understanding. But here's what I want you to see. Again and again in the Bible, God is moving towards his people. And God is taking up residence with his people, even though it's really messy down there. God knew this Israelite KOA at the base of the mountain was a mess. Like, we're going to see that really soon. When God comes out and camps out in the person of Jesus, God hasn't been there but, what, a few days? And all of a sudden, somebody's trying to kill him? His own creation is out to kill him through Herod. At the end of the life, God in the person of Jesus will, in fact, be killed by his creation. Jesus is a marked man from the day he's born. And yet he does it. God moves there. God pitches a tent. Why? Why does God do this? 
because God is in relentless pursuit to restore the relationship with his people. God is in relentless pursuit to get back to Eden. Like, isn't that, I found that really comforting how doggedly and persistently and tenaciously God is in pursuit of God's creation. God is not just hanging out there distant from you. God is doggedly and persistently pursuing you and me because he wants harmonious relationship with us. Like God, think about it. God could have, I, I don't think about heaven being an RV, but maybe some people do. God could have hung out in the fancy RV in heaven, right? <laughs> but God doesn't do that. God gets out of the fancy RV and he comes over and it's gravel and there's a mess and it's kind of chaotic and there's a lot of kids and I want to be here. I don't want to be there. I want to be here among you. Why does God do that? Because God is relentlessly pursuing us. He wants to restore the relationship that was in the garden. At the very end of the Bible, no surprise, in the book of Revelation, at the end of time, guess where the story is? It's in Eden, kind of. Like the, view, the, the picture that, the, that we get in the apocalypse of John is, is something like Eden, but even better than Eden, something that supersedes Eden. Because in, in this, there's a tree, but actually there's two trees in that Eden. And we get a vision. One of the last things we see in the book of Revelation is the vision of the new Jerusalem, which is a cube, interestingly enough. It's descending from heaven, and a voice is crying out, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. What's the movement? Is it us going to heaven, or is it heaven coming to us? It's, it's heaven coming to us, which should not surprise us, because that's the entire movement of God in the Bible. God is relentlessly moving to God's creation. Even at the end of time, the new Jerusalem comes to us, because God is relentlessly in pursuit of a relationship with us that we had in the garden. God wants to dwell with God's people. Let's just, let me just finish up here with two, two things maybe we can bring this home. And I, and I talk to you, a lot of you, on a regular basis. Maybe you are feeling the brokenness of the world, and probably we should be. There's a lot of brokenness. But maybe you're, even, you're feeling it in your own life. You feel the pain of the world, and you feel the pain in your own life. And you think there's got to be more than this. You feel like, man, there's just got to be something more than this. I, it's hard to even, like, describe what's missing, but we know something's missing. Like, even if you, even the most successful people, like, think about the people who, who chase after the thing they most want Almost always, when they find that, they describe a hole. Because there is some, there's this God-shaped hole in us, and we try to fill it, and we try to fill it, but it just, we can't fill it. It's because there's something longing for something beyond here. And what we see is we're reminded that Eden is coming back one day. It's not always going to be like this. And I feel for some of you who are in deep pain, I, I hear the word of the Lord saying to you, hang on. Hang on, it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. We're going to get back to Eden. We're going to get back to this harmonious place. That's what I want more than anything. I want you in my presence, and I want harmony, and we're going to get back there. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal your mind. I'm going to heal your body. I'm going to heal your soul. I'm going to heal all of you. I think that vision, I want you to just latch on to that vision for it to sustain you, that there's more to life than what we have right near, to hang on in the chaos and pain of life. But secondly, I want, you, I want to remind you that God has given us more than a vision. He's given us that, and we need that. But God's actually given us his presence now. In 1 Corinthians, uh, there's this line where Paul says, hey, he's speaking to the church, and he's, he's speaking plural. And he says, don't you know that you are God's temple? 
this, the God's Spirit dwells in you. I mean, just think about it. That's not like, sometimes it's kind of like a throwaway line for us. Like, oh, yeah, the, the, we're the temple of God. Yeah. After just studying the tabernacle, does that just stun you? God's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take up residence in this group of people right here. I'm going to take up a residence in this little piece of northeast Ohio on this little plot of land. I'm going to make it so that heaven and earth meet right here. Why do we come here on Sunday morning? Is it for the donuts? Is it to hang out with people? Is it to listen to a sermon? Those are all fine things. But is there something more? Is there something more profound that's happening here right now? is somehow, as a corporate body of believers, of followers of Jesus, in whom the Spirit of God dwells, is somehow this the hot spot of God, that somehow heaven and earth meet right here. I get that it doesn't always feel that way. I get it. Sometimes worship feels a little boring. Can I say that? Sometimes I look around and I'm like, this is the, this is the tabernacle? <laughs> it's a little messy, right? It's not the most fancy. I, I, I kind of... This is the tabernacle, huh? Sometimes I just want to stay in bed. Right? I think we all probably feel that way. Why do we show up? Because this is the place where heaven and earth meet. Because this is the place that something mysterious happens, something profound, that a little piece of heaven comes to earth, that in this little space a portal to heaven is opened up because God is again camping out with God's people. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are in relentless pursuit of us, that you have this desire to restore the fellowship that we had with you in Eden. God, give us the hope of a restored Eden, of the life to come. Pray for anybody here who is just feeling the ache and the pain of this world and in their own life, that they would just be able to seize on to the good news that it's not going to be like this. But I also, Lord, ask that we as a people might encounter the real presence of you in this place. That we might remind ourselves that even though it doesn't feel like this, something profound is happening, according to biblical authors, something mysterious is happening, that heaven actually comes to earth. May we uh, take that in and may we appreciate it. Ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.